umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we're going to talk about michigan's dominating 29 to 7 victory over indiana at the big house a night game a little bit chilly but still a good crowd well clint what'd you think about that one I think it went to to the script that we wanted to see, even though it wasn't necessarily the most exciting game to watch. You know, that the we wanted Michigan to execute. I think that they did. We wanted to see the defense fix some uh, some of the issues. They did some interesting things uh, that I think were in reaction to uh, to the problems that we saw the week before. And uh, I think Coach Harbaugh kind of addressed that too. Kind of validated that you know that change was uh, directly a result of you know, not being able to substitute well in East Lansing. So um, there was there was a lot of good there, still some things to work out. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest concern, obviously, is the injuries might, you know, start piling up here. And, uh, you know, that's par for the course for every, you know, big-time football team right now as you get into November. That's uh, November in the Big Ten. You're very rarely going to be playing with all uh, – you know, all of your number ones on either side of the ball. So depth is going to be tested here. And uh, I'm certainly glad that um, Hassan Haskins was there to, to pick up the slack when, when Blake Corum couldn't go after the first quarter. Yep. And that was definitely, I think, the the most prominent injury. It was not good, not a comforting sight to see Blake Corum walking on the sideline in a boot. And, um, you know, um, Coach Harbaugh had no updates as far as injuries during his uh, Monday press conference looking forward to Penn State. So, again, you know, the good thing, if there is a silver lining, is, um, you know, Michigan has two running backs, you know, basically Asan Haskins and Blake Corum. They both have done really well. So um, even though Blake was out during the game, Hassan was there definitely to uh, – pick up the slack i take how many carries they give me you know so i ain't, I ain't complaining <laughs> i mean as the game goes on I get a good feeling of it uh you know i just i don't know i get better as the game go on i guess back to the middle left michael son uh your your position coach used to have 27 carries just about every week back in the day did he have anything to say to you today once blake went down and you knew you were going to be carrying the majority of the load uh, he just told me to uh, get ready. You know, it's about to be a, a long battle. You know, so uh, it was. You know, a lot of carries is, is I don't know, but <laughs> he just tells me to get ready though and uh, be prepared. So that's we've said it the whole year. Also, that that part of them playing a complementary role to one of the other is that you know there are fewer miles going on each one of those guys. So uh, you know, being able to pick up the slack is 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 great that you don't have you know uh, you know two hundred three hundred carries right now on uh, on one guy extra that uh, that now he can pick that up without you know, really risking any any additional breakdown uh, for the other guy. So it, that depth in the running back room, um, we, we pointed out that that was a, a major strength for the team, and this is really where that strength you know pays off. You know, it was. Nice that that it played a complementary role in some other games where they both kind of um, affected that particular game. 
but the the reduced amount of carries and the the fewer the fewer number of collisions in every game right now on uh on Hassan Haskins is going to pay off because he he's going to be much more fresh than if he had to be the lead back all season. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, watching this game, it definitely had the flavor for me of, you know, an old school big 10 matchup, right? Um, you know, the way Michigan was, you know, under Bo Schembechler, under Lloyd Carr, not super fancy, not super flashy, just dominating and just kind of grinding the opponent into the ground. And, you know, when I see this, the 29 to seven score, you know, you could take that score and flash it back to, um, you know, the, the 70, eighties or early nineties, right. It just had that flavor to it. Uh, and again, it was, it was boring in a good way, right? Michigan kind of just had a stranglehold on Indiana Indiana definitely, you know, experiencing some injuries and not having, um, you know, really the horsepower to to compete with Michigan at this point. But again, uh, it was important for Michigan to come out and, you know, dominate, get the win. I think the the only thing that that didn't follow the script was, like you said, there were injuries. Right here we are heading into, as coach said, before this game, hey, it's a four-game season. You got to take care of one game at a time. Well, now we're headed into a three-game season with some injuries and some questions. And I thought it was interesting that Coach Harbaugh, you know, did not comment on where players were. Definitely, and you know, I don't know if it was gamesmanship, not wanting Penn State to know um, who exactly they'd be facing, or or if it was, hey, we don't know where they're at right now. Yeah, I I remember from previous years press conferences that they typically come in on Monday afternoon for their evaluation, right? So anything that they had from the weekend would have been preliminary anyway. They, they always uh, conveniently scheduled most of the uh, medical evaluations after that main press conference for Harbaugh on, on Monday afternoon. So, um, you know, we're not going to know. And, you know, as fans, that's a little bit uh, – nerve-wracking but i'd rather that the team isn't putting it out there in all honesty and at that particular position like i said if if we're relying mostly on hassan haskins and quorum has to take uh, has to take a week off i think you're okay there um it seemed if we're kind of reading the tea leaves of what did come out of the press conferences both in the post game and uh today on monday uh it doesn't seem like uh, harbaugh would call it serious as if he would be missing a big chunk of the season certainly this close to the end of the season that would be that would be much more catastrophic so I, I would imagine there's going to be less workload if anything from Blake Corum kind of a break glass in case of emergency if you need him for something specific but uh, I would expect Hassan Haskins to to be carrying the offensive workload uh, in Happy Valley this coming week well and you also have the issue with Donovan Edwards being out so mm-hmm. in one way you never want to see guys go out with injury, but it shows the great depth that Michigan has at running back that, you know, um, one of their top backs missed. Oh, well, okay. Only had one carry, one carry for four yards. And yet they still had 250 yards net rushing for the game. So again, if, if you have an injury and you still get 200 yards on the ground, things aren't so bad. The other interesting thing to me was, you know, um, Eric all's out, right? But when you look at the passing totals, you know, Cade McNamara 
I would say quietly had a pretty decent game, right? So it's interesting. You know, he threw for 168 yards. Um, JJ threw for 55 yards. So keeping the flame alive of those who believe that JJ is the heir apparent and the chosen one at quarterback. But what's interesting is when you look at the way the ball was distributed. So here you have Andrew Anthony only had one reception and Eric all was out and you know, you still had uh, 15 receptions. So, and you know, 223 yards. So it's interesting that, you know, the team has been talking about this, like a next man up mentality, right? You know, here you have Eric all out and Cornelius Johnson jumped up five receptions, 108 yards. So again, it's interesting that I was kind of surprised looking at the number of receptions that, you know, it's kind of like I said, it was, it quietly happened, right? I, I didn't expect that looking at the stats. It certainly didn't have, it didn't have that feel for me, but you know, when you look at the stats, it's, it's actually a pretty good day. And again, I think if there's any concern, it's once again, Michigan, uh, relied on field goals rather than converting touchdowns. And, you know, that's going to continue. That's going to continue to haunt this team. I think, um, you definitely want to see, um, you know, again, it didn't matter in this game, but at some point, you know, kind of like it mattered against Michigan state. I am really concerned as we head into these last three games that we're going to want to see, uh, more touchdowns, less field goals. Yeah, it, it's fair enough that certainly they got off to a good start in the red zone. Uh, and then the, the next time they got to the, into a scoring opportunity, right after I had said they were doing a good job, they gave up a sack and, uh, had that sequence where they brought JJ in for a third and 18 and then Cade back in and then JJ back in and multiple TV commercials. So, um, it, it it's a concern certainly going forward. I think we'll know more. Uh, we'll learn a lot more this week. Uh, against a better Penn State defense than we'll learn uh, against Indiana. I think Indiana was so dinged up on their side of the ball also that uh, I, I kind of mentioned in our pregame post- podcast or our preview podcast that I thought this was going to be a little bit like Washington, and that's that's what it felt like. It felt like th- that uh, they could get what they wanted um, on the ground and probably wanted certain things they wanted to do in the air whether they wanted to put it on film or work out some kinks, whatever. Um, but that the, the game flow wasn't really dictating the play calls. It was much more about what we wanted to, uh, what we wanted to get done um, from that week's preparation and, and kind of get out of there with a win and with, uh, you know, keeping the guys that are still healthy as healthy as possible. So um, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned still in the red zone. I, it is a concern, but I don't think that it is. It's it did jump up to bite them against Michigan State because it's a glaring thing. Um, but that one still, you were up 16 in the third quarter. I, I, I start with the defense on that particular game. Um, so this one was much more about fixing the defense in my mind, and I, I, I thought that we saw a lot of good things there. Well, Clint, you know, I think when I consider this one, you know, again, I, I kind of mentioned this. It was kind of like an old school grind them down kind of a game. Well, again, Michigan won. They covered the spread. They won. And, you know, other than, you know, the injuries, it, it was really what we needed to see. 
And, you know, I, I guess for myself, I kind of attribute it to a little bit of hangover from Michigan State. I think I would have liked to have seen, my gut would have liked to have seen uh, a little more of an explosion to kind of clear that bad taste out. But the thing we need to consider is that really the big game is is next week coming up versus Penn State. You know, that's going to be a challenge on the road. And, you know, I was thinking how how this kind of reminds me of the challenge of, of Michigan State. Now, obviously, it's not a rivalry game on the level of Michigan State. And Penn State has uh, had some disappointment this season. But it's going to be on the road. It's going to be on natural turf. Beaver Stadium has been a place that Michigan has struggled. So, again, I, I think that, for me, this is a chance for another um, it's another opportunity for Michigan to come out and, you know, and win and basically show that, you know, they are they are still in this thing. Of course, we'd be remiss not to mention that Michigan State was shocked on the road versus Purdue. So um, everything, as they say, is still in front of Michigan. Um, you know, they control a huge part of their own destiny and. You know, they got to, you know, stay on schedule. And the first thing they need to do is come out against Penn State and, and take care of business. Yeah, and I, I think that's going to start with getting your best guys on both sides of the ball to step up and make really, really big plays in the key moments. And what another encouraging thing is I think we have seen, I think we can all buy in on the David Ojabo uh, ascent to uh, to being a premium player, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson still is the uh, the straw that stirs the drink there on the defense, especially with the front. But uh, Ojabo cannot be ignored. You, you, the offensive coordinators cannot just uh, send all of their resources to Aiden Hutchinson because Ojabo not only is he getting to the quarterback and and uh, putting pressure on the quarterback, but when he gets there, he is is making a play on the ball, and, and that is is absolutely humongous and it's going to be huge for this team in over the next three games. David Ojabo stepping up to being an elite level defender, uh, getting more production out of Taylor Upshaw on the outside, a guy that can play multiple snaps in a row. I think what we are starting to see uh, in that Indiana game from Mike McDonald, and we heard it kind of confirmed uh, by Jim Harbaugh is they're trying to put together defensive personnel packages that don't necessarily have to rotate as frequently if uh, if a team has tempo in their arsenal. So that is obviously a direct result of uh, what we saw against Michigan State. So in this game, um, the other big change that we picked up on from the box was Michael Barrett playing in a, a role not at the inside linebacker next to Josh Ross, but playing in a role similar to what he was in Don Brown's defense out in space, out on the slot receiver. So I, I'm sure that they don't call it the Viper position like they did uh, under Don Brown, but he was playing basically the same position that Daxton Hill typically plays out on the slot and uh, supporting the edge in the run game. And they moved Dax Hill back as a deep safety and RJ Moten came off the field in that package. So, Originally, I thought that maybe Moten was dinged up, but right after I, I had mentioned that to you in the box, Moten came in on a on a change, and uh, Barrett came out, and Dax Hill was back up uh, on the slot receiver. So um, I think 
the reason for that is he um, – I don't think that Daxton Hill's run defense is, is what the question is, but I think he's a more versatile piece um, when you put him in there with Daxton Hill back deep to where I think Michael Barrett is more of a versatile piece in the front than you would get with R.J. Moten in the back. Um, so that's that's my current theory, but I am interested to see how they uh, mix and match that uh, against Penn State, who you would think uh, relies heavily on the on the run, but in reality, I think we're back to another another game where we just need to stop their their best receiver, Jayon Dotson. So I think it's interesting about um, you know David Ajabo is not only is he dominant on the field, and it's interesting because you really have him working in tandem with Aiden Hutchinson. And we knew early on this season that Aiden Hutchinson was going to be a force, right? And he has just continued to ascend as a player. And uh, I'm sure that um, NFL scouts are are watching with bated breath. Um, you know, he's projecting out to be a, um, you know, a high first-round pick. And with every game, you can understand why. But what's interesting is that Ojabo is helping himself. And not only is he doing it on the field, but, you know, he's also, um, you know, being a leader, you know, they have him doing press conferences. And he had some really interesting things to say after the game where you can tell he's definitely, um, you know, prominent on the field and in the locker room. You know, going forward, we said that, you know, whatever happened, somebody had to pay for it, you know, and just having to be Indiana. So that was our mentality coming to this week. Probably going to keep it going throughout the rest of the year, you know, and uh, it's working for us so far. Coaches are even preaching, like, we're not even worried about next week. It's play-by-play, you know. We're taking this play-by-play. We're not even thinking about tomorrow or film tomorrow or who we got two weeks from now. It's play-by-play, day-by-day, man. You have a Penn State team that is – that is hurting, right? Um, they are not. Um, they are not in control of their own destiny. Um, they've stumbled a few times, and you have Michigan coming in with a lot more to lose than Penn State does. But again, Beaver Stadium is a difficult place to play. Michigan has struggled there at times, so I think you know a, a lot's being made in the local media that. Michigan is ranked technically one spot higher than Michigan State, right? And, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, griping about that, you know, if, if Michigan lost to Michigan State head-to-head, how can they be ranked, um, you know, above Michigan State? Well, okay, the way that Michigan can take care of um, some of that griping is to come out and do well against Penn State, right? And to – because – Really, what we need to think about here is that not only does Michigan need to win no matter what, but, you know, they need to be making a case for um, whatever happens, right, for possibly sliding into the college football playoffs either as a Big Ten champion or as perhaps a a secondary uh, member, you know, sliding into the the, um, playoffs. So either way, they got to win out, right? And that perception is important. And not only do I think they need to beat Penn State, but you know they need to do well because 
you know, you have you have three games. You have Penn State, you have Maryland, you have Ohio State, right? And, um, you know, Michigan is going to need to, um, you know, do very well. And the first thing you need to do is is beat Penn State. You know, you don't, you know, that, that thought that you have everything ahead of you kind of evaporates if you lose to Penn State. Um, so, you know, I think that's front and center. And that's definitely what they need to focus on this week. Yeah, and especially it's another ranked team on the road conversation. It's about another big moment in November, right? These are these are narratives that are not just 2021, right? This is this is something that permeates the entire Harbaugh era. So um, while I think that there is some value in, in stepping up and meeting that challenge, it's not the 2021's team. <laughs> it's not their narrative. Right, their narrative is more about what you're talking about and where they are in the polls, going into their tenth game, and where they are in the Big Ten East standings and what it means to win these next three games. Um, but for us, in terms of talking points and, and national narrative, um, to go on the road and win in a place that uh, has been a tough environment for Michigan in the past. Um, it's going to it's going to reflect very well on this team to to kind of change that narrative if they can do it and i believe as i've you know believed in the past that if they play their best game right i think that they're the better team than that they should win and and that kind of holds true the same thing that we saw against indiana without the without quite a sizable uh talent gap i think michigan plays their best game and, and continues to get better in terms of fixing mistakes, then, then, then they're going to be fine. So um, I, I was a little bit, um, we got a little bit sidetracked on special teams after the game about, uh, you know, Andrew Anthony maybe being injured on a big hit to start the third quarter on a kick return. What were your thoughts on, uh, your most explosive players, uh, you know, kind of risking injury back on, on special teams. Well, you know, we've beat this drum all year. Players play football, okay? You need to put your most explosive players in the position to get the football as often as they can. And, you know, this year there was the really unfortunate situation with Ronnie Bell going out early. But, again, so, and, and again, I, 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 I get frustrated with this, right? Because there's just as much uh, a chance that you're going to get injured in practice. Guys can get injured walking across the street, right? You're football players. You play football. You put your players in a position to, um, to do well. And, and I think back, okay, historically, um, would, you want, would you have wanted Desmond Howard to not be able to play special teams? Would you have wanted Charles Woodson to not play special teams? Would you want to erase all those memories because you're afraid, because you're in fear of them being injured? So, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's just one of those things where it is a it's a it's an easy thing for the drive-by media and the casual fan to to criticize, right? But the reality of it is, is that you know. You know, so what are you going to do? Are you going to take, so say Andrew Anthony is your guy, right? 
Are you not going to put them out there until the Ohio State game? Are you not going to give them a chance to practice in-game conditions? You know, one of the things that they talk about, there's the difference between State Street and Main Street, right? Um, you know, State Street is where you practice. Main Street is where you play. You need reps on Main Street to be ready for the biggest stage. And, you know, I, I think we can look back at, um, you know, what happened against Michigan State. Listen, um, J.J. McCarthy is going to be a great quarterback, but you need to have reps in practice. You need to have reps in the game because games are different. So I, I, I just think it's one of those things, again, it's, it's an easy, low-hanging fruit for people to criticize. And, of course, I don't want Angel Anthony hurt, but I also want him out there playing impacting the game so that's where i come down to that and you know i i you know you i think you can appreciate you you kind of know where i am on this we've we've beat this we've talked about this in the past yeah and at its core i, I agree with you pretty much pretty much 100 percent. i did see a little bit of, of interesting nuance maybe that differentiated between kick returns and punt returns right where punt returns uh it's it's more understandable to put a guy that's explosive back there um, because it, he, he's, you know, maybe a greater opportunity to make an impactful play. Kick returns are, are a little bit more structured and, and, and maybe a higher uh, injury risk. And, and okay, if somebody's going to make that case, I would listen, but I, I don't think that I would be swayed too much. Um, it, it's clear that this coaching staff values the explosive opportunity that kick returns pose, right? Otherwise, with the rules as they are, they would just fair catch everything and take it at the 25. So um, if we thought that whoever you put back there is just going to run it out to the 25, then they would be fair catching everything and taking the ball to 25 with no injury risk. The fact that they have uh, called returns with, with drawn up blocking schemes that are worked on through the week at practice tells you that they think that they can be explosive. And, and we've seen that this year um, with Blake Horam, and, and in years past also. So I think the, the value of an explosive play is still critical on special teams in the return game. I would listen to a, a well-reasoned argument about uh, differentiating between punt and kickoff, but I, I don't think that it, I would change my opinion much. So now here's the flip side, right? Um, and we're not talking about special teams in particular here. Now I will tell you that, I'm looking down from the box, and halfway through the fourth quarter, eh, I'm kind of wondering why Aiden Hutchinson's still out there, right? Like, there's a difference between garbage time substitution and prime time substitution. And I think that that's kind of the nuance I see is that um, you look at um, what's what goes into kick and punt returns, right? A lot of pressure. Um it's something that I don't know how well you can simulate in practice. It's a different deal, right? So I definitely want to see our primetime players in that position. But I can also understand, hey, midway through the fourth quarter, I think that that's an opportunity to get other people reps, right? So I, I, do, I do appreciate that there are some nuances to it. I don't want to see Andrell Anthony out there with 30 seconds to go in the game, 40 points up, getting hurt on a kick return, right? But I think that there's a it's it, there's a time and place for getting different players in and pulling different players out. 
And um, a lot of what we're hearing is, again, just, um, you know, not really deep analysis of what really goes into preparing a player for special teams and preparing them for um, what it's going to be like, um, you know, against a Penn State or an Ohio State. You don't want to put somebody out there, you know, getting their first or second kick and expecting them to, to do well. Right, and just to kind of put a, a fine point on the end of it there, right, that Andrew Anthony play was the second half opening kickoff while Michigan was still up just 10 points. So that game, that, that scenario is certainly not the same as when, when you and I both started to wonder whether Aiden Hutchinson's probably come off the field in the fourth quarter during garbage time. Those are two, di- two very different uh, conversations. Exactly. The other thing, too, is to consider that the way Indiana was playing, you don't know how many kickoff opportunities you're going to get, right? So I, I, I think it made total sense for him to be out there at that place. Um, and again, it, it's the kind of thing where we're talking. Well, how many other guys are there? There's, you know, the Blake Quorum normally is back there, and A.J. Henning was also out. So Andrew Anthony's the third guy. How many guys, <laughs> how many further down do you think that we have back there? <laughs> you know, and it's also interesting that, and again, this is to Andrew Anthony's credit, right? A couple games ago, he wasn't even the, I don't think anybody would have considered him top, one of the top three or four receivers, right? And mm-hmm. now he's considered number one or two. So, again, good for him. It definitely shows how things can shift on how perceptions can shift. And again, you know, we're in a three game season right now. You need to prepare, you need to play. And, um, again, I'm, you know, looking for it. Right. You know, and and it's interesting because you talked about, think about like the great moments that Jabril Peppers had in the return game. Right. I would not take him out of those opportunities. I just, I don't think you do that. Um, so again, understand the concern, but I think it's misplaced. Yep, I I agree. I I, I think we've seen what we needed to see out of that that Indiana game. I, I can I can empathize with folks that feel like it was a, a little bit hollow, which is which is understandable. I think a big part of that, at least for folks at home, was was the choppiness of the broadcast and and, and the just the game flow or lack of game flow was just brutal and, and certainly didn't help either to your point from last week about how much the, the game flow and the commentary can really shape the, uh, the narrative that's out there in the fan base and nationally. And, and that game was just stop and start, no real flow, herky jerky, nobody enjoyed it. So I, I, I don't know anybody that could have watched that game on TV and come out thinking, positively about what they saw because it was uh it was it was like a dentist appointment well and clan it's one of those games we've talked about this in the past right okay there is a hangover from losing to michigan state right i don't think like i would have loved to have seen a fireworks display right but michigan beats indiana 75 to nothing it doesn't make up for the week before Mm -hmm. right you know, there's no amount you can win by to totally clear that ta- that bad taste out, right? But the way it gets worse is to let one loss turn into two, right? Mm-hmm. And Michigan didn't let that happen. 
They got the job done. They're positioning themselves. And, you know, one of the things that was really interesting to me, and this may be a, a, a wrinkle that I'm not sure people appreciate, but you talked about the differences that we saw on defense, right? Some of the anticipation of, okay, um, tempo is going to be used against us again, right? And Mm -hmm. how are we going to prepare for that? Because you can be darn well sure that we are going to see that Penn State, Maryland, and probably Ohio State. So the difference that I see in this team, and and this is really, you know, listen, I, I like Don Brown. Right. But Don Brown was, this is what I'm going to do. And this is it. Okay. And, um, you know, did a little bit of changing in the end, but listen, he, he was, he was who we thought he is, who we thought he'd be. Right. And what I see here against this defense is very clearly, Hey, um, now I wish they had done some better self scouting previous to Michigan state, because we had talked about, listen, Somebody's going to bring tempo against you, right? And man, did Michigan State do it. I wish they had self-scouted more and be, and had been better prepared for that because I don't think that should have been a shock, right? But the important thing is we're seeing the adjustments now. And, you know, instead of saying, hey, that's something we're going to push to the offseason, they're making the changes now because they know they're going to need that to complete this three-game stretch. Yeah, exactly right. That's you're you're trying to keep guys healthy, right? Make sure you've built some some depth and some experience in your backup guys, and the coaching staffs now are are, are really digging into uh, what the analysts bring on, on self scouting, and it, it's on the margins now, right? Everybody's got ten games or nine games of film out there, so the the advantages that you're looking for now in scheme and in game plan are are, are starting to shrink. Right, it's it's going to come down to even fewer plays um, that end up deciding the whole game. So you just you really want to see Michigan putting absolute hundred percent focus on every single play because you never know which one is going to be the game breaker. And and on the road against Penn State, it's certainly going to come up again. It it's it, it this is going to be a, a very close game, and it, it's going to be about learning from these last couple weeks of big 10 play and, and trying to anticipate how Penn state is going to use that film and, and, and exploit it and be ready for those with your, with your counter punches. I completely agree. And I think Hassan Hoskins said it best in the post game press conference. We just talked about uh, moving forward. Don't uh, keep, keep our heads high. Uh, the past is the past. We got to look forward to the future, you know, and just, that was mainly what we talked about, and uh, you know, we just has, we had to come out here this week and uh, dominate and uh, keep dominating each week. So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue! Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for. UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!